Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, welcome to episode 49. That means we are almost at the one year mark. That is so hard for me to believe. And I want to remind you before I get started that I record the podcast from our motorhome from the Hope Mobile. So I don't always have control over the background noise. So if you hear something, you're on the road with me, okay? So you get to hear what I hear. We're going to start a new series, and we're going to be talking about parents in the Bible who have had a child die. And the first one, I feel like it's, it's bad enough to have a child die, right? But to have the death of your child be because your other child murdered him or her, what? a mess. I can't even begin to imagine. But that's exactly what happened to the very first couple that God created and placed on this earth. I want to read from Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. And it says, The man was intimate with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Then I'm going to go to verse 8, which says, Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. If you're not familiar with the story, there was a jealousy thing going on, and this was the result of that jealousy. It turned into murdering his own brother. Like I said, I can't even begin to imagine what something like that would be like. And if I think about Adam and Eve in this situation, they had never experienced death. Death had never, ever happened before on this earth. So... To, to have this happen just blows my mind when I, when I really think about this. I can't imagine what that was like to discover death and to, to discover losing life from your body and having it be your own son and finding out it was at the hand of your other son. It just is just crazy to me. And we know the the scripture tells us that adam lived a total of 930 years when god first created man they lived for hundreds of years no thank you right i mean after becca died i i just wanted to go i just wanted to be done here myself and it took a long time for me to even want to continue living here even with other children and my husband and ministry and so many things i had to live for I didn't want to live anymore. And I think a lot of you feel the same way or did when your child first died. We can feel like that for a long time, even years. Some of you may still feel like that. 
I feel like that right now. And I used to want to, the Bible tells us how we can live to 120. I can't think of the scripture off the top of my head. And I know that my family has longevity, and I've always been excited about that, to think that I could live in my 80s and 90s and even hit 100. I've had some relatives. But when Becca died, it was like, uh-uh, no thank you. I'm I'm out of here. I Whenever it's time to go, just take me, God. And after eight years, I can honestly say, I really want to live out a long life now again. But it took me a long time to get there. But I certainly don't want any 930 years, right? I could not, when Becca first died, it would almost put me in a panic attack, thinking about living a year, five years, 10, 20 years without her. It's like, how do you do that? I mean, it was like, I, I couldn't breathe. It would just paralyze me thinking about that. So Adam lived a total of 930 years, and the Bible tells us that he was 130 when Seth was born, their third son, the Bible talks about, and Seth came after this murder. So that means that Adam had to have lived close to 800 years without his son Abel. I cannot imagine. Can you? Well, on this topic of a sibling murdering another sibling... I actually happen to know someone who lost two of her own young sons, Roger and Maurice, in a car accident while she was over in Japan serving in the Air Force. But four years before that accident happened that took two of her children from her, her brother murdered their sister. And I want you to hear from her. What you're about to hear is part of an interview session I did with Angela Alexander for what we called a virtual summit back in 2017. So it was just a couple of years ago. And this virtual summit was an online conference that I put together. It had 19 sessions with over 20 different speakers on all kinds of topics for bereaved parents. And Angela was one of those people that I talked to. And our topic was on forgiveness. You talk about someone who's had a lot of tragedy in her life that has learned how to deal with the whole forgiveness piece. Angela is someone that is very good to talk to about this. Now, we've done some editing because Angela, in our interview, she shares about a trauma she had as a new bride that almost took her husband from her. She shares about the car accident that took the life of her two sons. But what I want you to hear from Angela in this podcast episode is the story of her brother David killing their sister Alice and how it affected her and her family, especially her dad. Now, Angela wrote an autobiography called Miracles in Action, and it has been made into a documentary movie. And so near the end, you're going to hear Angela talk about a conversation she had with her producer when she talks about her producer in planning the film. So here is the edited parts of my talk with Angela Alexander about the situation of her brother murdering her sister. So you had this whole situation with your husband that was miraculous. And then the one that I just really have a hard time wrapping my brain around was the whole situation with your brother and your sister. Your brother, David, actually murdered your sister. 
Yes, I, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. And and your sister, she wasn't just a sister to you. She was almost like a twin. I mean, yeah. you guys literally did everything together, started a business together. I mean, you met your husband with her. You guys were like almost inseparable. So share that piece of your story with us. I don't even know where to start on that story between my brother and my sister, Allison David. Well, first I'd like to start with David. He was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia at the age of 12 years old. So he had a mental disorder from almost his entire life. He was in and out of mental institutions, jails. I mean, what have you, just all of the above. And one year, I think in 96, he got out of jail, did some time, got out of jail. And my sister Alice, she had her own place and David needed a place to stay. And she was so loving. I mean, she would literally give you the shirt off her back at her own expense. and. David needed a place to stay, and she said, you can come and stay with me. Now, he asked if he could stay with me, but your girl said no. <laughs> no. You know, because I knew David heard voices, and I didn't want my children wondering, oh, why is Uncle David laughing in the corner? And, you know, so I said no. But she was living alone, and, she's, and so, the, so the rule was, David, you can stay with me during the week. And when I receive my children on the weekend, I'll take you to a local shelter. And then I'll pick you up Sunday evening. So, I mean, it was a win-win. And it worked And it worked out for like two weeks. And then into that third week, Alice went home and never made it out alive. Hmm. Now, and, and because, and I think what led up to that was David started questioning, you know, why do I have to leave? You know, just because, just because my niece and nephews come home, come, come home, why do I have to leave? And, um, and for the same reasons, I said that, you know, she didn't want to have to explain my Uncle David's laughing to himself. And she just wanted her own quality time with her children when she had them. It worked out for a little bit. And then I, I don't know what transpired behind those closed doors. And no one else will ever know, you know, how it escalated from a conversation to killing. But what I do know is when he got out of jail, um, they did not give him his uh, schizophrenia medication. And so he self-medicated with drugs and alcohol. So mm -hmm. you, as you know, you mix drugs and alcohol on top of a brain disorder, mental disorder, he started hearing voices. And the voices was telling him to do this crazy stuff. And, and, and I don't even know if he really, you know, thought that was Alice at that point of time. Because Alice was the type of sister that, like I said, my mom had eight children. If she was, if, if anybody was out drowning, you know, we would all throw our life, our life jacket to her. She was the go-to person. I don't know if you have a big family, but normally in a big family, there's, there's like one or two go-to people. And, you know, you can ask anybody, you know, what's going on? You can ask Alice. She know everybody business because everybody flocked to her. She was like the hub of the family. And so with her being taken out, it was extremely devastating. I mean, it was days where I couldn't even... Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't even walk down the street. I couldn't, we, and at that time, we had a balloon and flower business together. So, you know, when you spend, when you have a business with somebody, you're with that person a lot of times more than you with your spouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just went home and, you know, you just home, go home and sleep and you wake up, you're right back at work again. And, and, and even on the weekend, because we're a family, we had family outings. <laughs> So we went together and she was, she was almost like my twin, although she's five years older than me, but you would never know that because I was a little bit taller than her. <laughs> so, 
So a lot of people called us the Bloom Girls. You know, we just always, you know, we see we saw one of us, you saw both of us. But at that time, we were, I was, uh, we were living in Washington State. And when Alice died, mm, that was the hardest year of my life. And, um, and I decided I could not stay in Washington State anymore because everywhere I went, there she was in my memory. And we would go decorate a hotel. I could just, you know, picture her coming through. And, and it was extremely difficult, extremely difficult. And, you know, when you're dealing with that type of grief, you don't want to make a drastic move because no matter where you go, there you are. So you can't run from your, you know, you can't run. So I wanted to make sure that uh, this wasn't just an emotional move. So I said, I'm going to wait a year. And if I feel, still feel just broken heart and, and I just have an analysis, you know, all around me, then um, I'm going to go ahead and make that move. Because in Washington State, you know, it rains all the time. And I literally needed some more sunshine in my life. I really did. And so a year passed, and that was so devastatingly hard. Um, but you know what? No matter what goes happens, time goes on. Right. Time goes on. So, and, 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 and what I want to stop and say is people say, oh, um, time heals. And I'm just here to say time does not heal. Because I know people who's been in misery for a long time. Okay, sometimes time can be detrimental to you and you're just suffering and suffering and suffering years and years and years pass by and they are still back at score one in their healing process because they haven't done the work. It's not just time. The clock is not going to make your heart mend. The calendar is not going to make your heart mend. Okay, it takes a work to have that happen. It's a process. And so you have to do the work um, because time can be your friend, but it can also be your foe. Yeah, you, you preach it, girl. <laughs> I, it's, I, I believe that just totally, 100%, I agree with you. It's not time that heals. It's what you do in that time that brings a healing. And there's never a complete healing this side of, of heaven, but at least we can get out of that suffocating blackness and live again and live a full life again is God's plan for us because I mean none of this blindsided God it might all of it blindsided you but there isn't a single thing that blindsided God in your grief and your losses in mine and anyone who's watching and so you know God's plan is for us to go through the process like you said and work towards our healing to get out of that blackness and it is work I do believe this is one of the reasons that God had me go through Alice's death because with Maurice and Roger, I had instantaneous peace. I had instantaneous peace. And I didn't understand it at the time, but God gave it to me, so thank you, Jesus. But with Alice, I did not have that instantaneous peace. I used to wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares with Alice and I fighting David together. And I would wake up in this sweat, just my heart racing. Just the fear and the anger and all these emotions that's all unexplainable, all, all intertwined, and you can't unravel them because you're grieving on type of hatred, and hatred is very heavy, and unforgiveness, and, this, and, 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 and all that just turmoil. Night after night, month after month, with Alice, I went through all of that. So I've had the instantaneous peace, and I've had months and months of just, Grieving, and it's, you know, and grief is like, 
It's like a song. You might be feeling okay and you hear this song and it takes you right back to where you was at that time. I can talk about Maurice and Rich, Maurice and Roger almost like with a smile on my face because I was in a much healthier place when Maurice and Roger died. It was, it was, I received instantaneous peace, although I missed them beyond words. I know who they are. And the experience was different, not better, just different. But with Alice, I didn't have that sense of peace that I have when it came to grief. I hadn't, I hadn't been through this process. Alice's death taught me a lot of stuff. Alice died four years before Maurice and Roger passed. So during those four years, I was in preparation. I was, I was grieving, but also in preparation for Maurice and Roger. And when, so when I talk about Alice now, all those feelings, they rush back. And I, and I just feel that same pain almost as they, although, although I have forgiven David, I visit David, I write David, you know, there's no, there's no hatred towards David because hatred is heavy and I, 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 I you know, I don't want to block, block my own blessings. I me feeling bad for David can't make him feel any worse or lower than he already felt when he woke up and realized what he did because he did not realize what he did. I don't know if he was, he, you know, when you're on drugs and alcohol and, and first of all, you already have a brain disorder, a mental illness, and then you put that on top of that. He was out of his mind. Uh, and and when, when you go into that, sometimes you have to separate the man from the behavior. You know, like Jesus, he loved the man, but he hates the sin. And so that's what we have to do. I love my brother, but I hate the sin. I hate that my sister's dead. So I, 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 I know what it feels like not to have peace. Mm -hmm. I, I know what that feeling is. But even though I did not have instantaneous peace, I don't want, you shouldn't, you, you, you have to release it. Because when you hold on to that, you're really just hurting your own self. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you have to go out and have lunch or dinner or buy the person flowers. You can have, and sometimes it is safer, depending on the situation, to forgive from a distance. All that is, is releasing that hatred off of your shoulders. That's it. They say, they say, you know, forgiveness is like releasing someone from jail and realizing that you were the prisoner. Right. And another way I've heard it put, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> when that person's probably not even thinking about you, that person's probably got so much other turmoil going in their head. They ain't even got, they ain't even got, you know, they probably so bombarded with other crazy stuff that's going on in their life. They ain't even got time to think about you. And you spend, you spend 24 seven destroying your life. I mean, and then the energy that it takes, you could be doing something to make your life better. You're, you, you know, the people that you're surrounded by making their life better. Then spending their time and energy on that person, unforgiveness. What about those parents who say, hey, I made the same vow to God. You know, my child was in an accident. They were on life support for two weeks. And I told God, if you save my child, I'll serve you. I'll praise you forever. And he didn't answer my prayer. I'm just throwing these hard things at you, Angela, because I know other people have already. You know, and that whole for unforgiveness and bitterness that's just eating at people. And you just make it sound so easy. You just do it. You know, what do you have to share with them to help them pass that obstacle 
No, 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 no. When I said I had sweat at nighttime and I had nightmares, that's just not saying, oh, David, I forgive you. I remember I wanted to, I wanted to send him a poison cake <laughs> in jail. Just being and, honest. Um, but, but, <laughs> yeah. Just being honest. That's real. You know, it was not overnight. It was not overnight. It was a process. But when I, when I realized that I'm hurting me, then I'm hurting him. I was like, wait a minute. What's the point? You know, is this working for you or how is it working for you you know so um it's, it's 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 not something that just happens it's a process and you might have to go to therapy group therapy individual therapy prayer you know whatever whatever there's you know there's no one way you know you know to reach your peace i was sharing my testimony at this women's conference um like probably like three years ago two or three years ago and um we had a men's panel because we didn't want the men to feel excluded. And so one of the men on the panel was a producer and he heard my testimony. And afterwards he says, Angela, I love to turn your book into a documentary film. And I was like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> you know? And, 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 and again, I just, you know, I had to go into prayer and God said, listen, you need to get out of my way. <laughs> So three days later, I, I said, okay, God, I surrender. Let me get up out your way. And we, um, we, it's a documentary. So it's my family. We actually go to, oh, oh this is when the producer asked me, Angela, what is turning pain into power and grief into peace? What, what does that look like? And I said, if you want to know what that looks like, we need to go to Washington State and you need to interview my father. Because when David, when his son killed his daughter, Oh, Ooh, Lord. Imagine. Oh, my. Ooh. Cannot imagine. Say, you couldn't even say the name David in his presence. You, the, the, room, the, the room was so thick with hate. If he, I mean, if my father could have killed my brother, it would have been done. It wouldn't, he wouldn't have cared about the consequences. He wouldn't have cared about the results. He wouldn't have cared about police. They could have shot him, boom, but he, he wouldn't have cared about nothing. It would have been done. And to watch my father go from that process to right now, my father visited him in jail. My father puts money on his books. My father, uh, it's, and so on, on, on the documentary, we're having a conversation. Uh, we couldn't go inside the jail to visit David, you know, with the cameras. But we had David on the phone with me and my father and my sister Sharon all at the table, just laughing, joking, just talking about, you know, good times. And that would have never happened, you know, if we, if, if he had continued and maintained that hatred. Matter of fact, what that the hatred did, it had caused him to have ulcers. It caused him to have knee problems, backaches, heartaches. He was having he was having he was having physical illnesses from head to toe when he was in the midst of that and and it wasn't no doctor that healed that it was forgiveness but it wasn't easy and it wasn't instantaneous it took years and years and years to get to the stage that we are right now because this has been 20 years since alice passed away but it's only been like the last seven years when my father has been able to go and just have a relationship with, with his son, David. But it's so vitally important, not only for David, but for Alice's children. Because, the, you know, that hatred carries on to different generations. And it needs to stop. Cousins don't even know each other because of something that happened 10, 20 years ago, before they was even born. 
And a lot of times the siblings don't even know why we mad at each other. They don't even know no more. It needs to stop right here and now. And I get, I get letters that say, Angela, I haven't been to Thanksgiving dinner in years, and guess what? I don't even remember why. And here it is, you forgave your brother for killing your sister? I said, you need to make that phone call, make it right. Yeah, unforgiveness is definitely, can become a root of bitterness that just poisons everyone around you. Yeah, so I mean, even parents who have had their children murdered, forgiveness is possible. It yes. is possible. And sometimes that's the first step even just believing it's possible. To me, I see that's done through God. I mean, we don't have it in ourselves to forgive in a situation like that. That's where we just have to grab hold of God with everything we have and say, God, help me do what I can't do myself. And, and he will help us through that process. Because like you said, it is a process. It's definitely a process. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share on this whole, I mean, it's a huge topic, the area of forgiveness, and we've really just kind of scratched the surface, but do you have any like final thoughts or ideas in helping people to forgive anything you want to share here? Yeah, you know, I get that question um, when people say, I'm so, the, oh, the death, of your, the death of your sons is the worst, or the death of your child is the worst thing that ever happened to you. Well, I'm just here to say it's the worst thing that ever happened to you if you allow it to be. Only if you allow it to be. Oh, and I also get uh, that question, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry your child died out of order. Well, God is not the God of confusion, first of all. And in Genesis chapter four, Adam and Eve, their first child, they buried their first child. They, I mean, they buried their child. Their, their child was the first person who died in the Bible. So, you know, and, 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 and they, oh, they say, you didn't have enough faith. Well, who had more faith than Virgin Mother Mary? She buried her son. He rose again, but she did bury him. <laughs> okay? So, you know what? God is not a God of confusion. Your child did not die out of order. All is in God's divine order. You will see your child again if you have a relationship in Jesus. And, I, and, I, and that's what carries me through, because I know my sons always Jesus, and I will see them again. You know, as hard as it is for me to live here without my sons, it will be impossible for me to live here without God's son, Jesus Christ. And that gives me the strength to know that I will see my sons again. I know they are joyfully jamming with Jesus right now. I know that. And I'll see them again. <laughs> that's, that's very powerful. Thank you. And so with that, I am going to ask you, Angela, I would like to close this out by you praying over the parents who are watching and specifically in this area of forgiveness that God will give them the grace and the strength that they need to start walking through this process of forgiveness to set themselves free. Because as long as we're in this darkness and in unforgiveness, we can't climb out of the darkness. That forgiveness is like a yeah. ceiling over us, a roof. It's like the rock over the pit. You know, we got to get that unforgiveness out of the way so that we can climb out of this darkness. So would you please close us out by praying for all of us? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this honor, just honor just to stand here in your presence and to praise your holy name. Dear God, we love you. 
We love you so much because you first loved us. And this is um, a club and we never wanted to join. And I don't even know if that's appropriate, but I never asked to be in this position, but you saw fit that I was strong enough to handle this. So I'm gonna do the best that I can. We ask for grace, we ask for strength, we ask for freedom, we ask for freedom to forgive. If we have to forgive ourselves, if we have to forgive our spouse, if we have to forgive that child who passed away, if we have to forgive the police, whatever the circumstances that surrounds the transitioning of our sons and our daughters, give us that insight, give us that peace that surpasses our understanding. Father, we don't understand what's going on right now. It's a ball of confusion for us right now. But just help us to just separate layer by layer, brick by brick. Help us to separate so we can see you, God. And we can see the glory behind the story. We know you're in the midst. We know your hands. We know it's like the footprints in the sand. Carry us, dear God. Carry this heavy burden. Carry this load. Release it from us. We cannot handle this without you, dear Father. We don't even want to handle this without you. Some things through fasting and praying only you can do. But just give us the strength, the desires, and the wants to see things through your eyes, dear Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, have your way. Come and do what you need to do. Make the wrong thing right. Death will never do us part. We will see our sons and our daughters again. We will see our sons and daughters again, dear Heavenly Father. And we will spend eternity with our loved ones. All we have to do is accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when we say rest in peace, rest in peace. R-I-P stands for rejoicing in paradise. Our sons and our daughters are rejoicing in paradise. And we want to rejoice in them in paradise as well, dear Heavenly Father. Allow us to forgive and heal our broken heart. Forgiveness is very heavy and it blocks our blessings. Give us the strength to just let it go. And just sometimes we have to see things through someone else's eyes. Put yourself in someone else's position. Look at it through another light. And we just ask God to just to be there with us as we walk through this journey. Bring some in, someone into our left to help us with this load. And you know what, God, Heavenly Father? Embrace us. Have a special place in your heart for us. Because the ideal thing to do is for parents, for children to bury their parents. But sometimes, many cases, that doesn't happen. So in that case, then it doesn't happen like we stand before us today. Give us parents a special place in your heart to be able to endure earth while we're still here without our children. And we love them so much just because they're physically not here or just because you might see a smile on my face. And just because, and all like I say, the healing of your broken heart doesn't mean that, the, that, 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 that you no longer love your child. Don't, don't allow people to carry this broken heart thinking that if they, if they mend their heart, then people might think they don't love their child. Yes, they do still love our We love our children, the Heavenly Father. And it's okay for your broken heart to heal and still love that child. We don't have to worry that 
that cloth of death. We don't have to wear that for life. So dear Heavenly Father, please bless us and give us the strength and allow us to continue to live here on earth until we see our loved ones again. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Angela. Wow, that was, that was exactly what a lot of us needed. I am so thankful, and I know that you are too, that this world is not our home. This world is only temporary. We're just passing through. And yeah, someday we will be with our children again. And at that point, we won't be separated from him or the one who made it possible. Angela Alexander is someone whose life has been filled with trauma and grief. But as you can tell, she has chosen to not remain a victim of all of these horrible circumstances, but to allow God to heal those open wounds and have a thriving life full of joy even that honors those that she has lost from this earth. Now I wanna go back into Genesis chapter four again and read verse 25 to you. It says that Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child, an offspring, in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Cain killed Abel. Another version says, Cain killed Abel, but now I have Seth. Now we know that it is impossible for one child to replace another child, and I don't think that's what she was saying. She was just very thankful that God blessed her with another son after losing Abel. And something that I find interesting is that Seth was the lineage that Noah came from, and that's pretty important. So God obviously did not restore Abel, but he did restore in a way, gave them another son, and from that son came the blessing of Noah and everything that came with Noah, the blessings and the lineage from Noah. That's something. God is in the restoring business. His ability and power to restore is so much greater than the enemy's power to destroy. I find it pretty amazing that the first death in the Bible is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a person, the death of a child. But it's not just the death of one's child, but it's a son murdering his brother, another son. And yet, the entire history through God's word is one of hope that goes beyond any death or even the circumstance surrounding the death, all because Jesus came and died his own horrific, torturous death, so that when we leave this earth, we continue to live with our loved ones, never to be separated again. Isn't that incredible? Thank you, God. This is not permanent. And speaking of our loved ones, let's find out who has a birthday this week. First of all, we have Waylon McRae, who was born on March 25th, and Waylon is forever 17. We have Michael Young, who was born on March 26th, and is forever 22. 
we have Dakota Crandall, who was born on March 27th and is forever 25. And then we have Tommy Simmons, who was born on March 29th, and Tommy is forever 59. We join with these families in celebrating the day that each of these sons came into this world. If you would like to have your child's birthday announced on the podcast, who is no longer here with you on earth, we would love to celebrate with you and announce them. Just go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There's a form for you to fill out. Just submit the information and I will be honored to include them in this podcast on the week of their birthday. Now, I mentioned that this interview with Angela was from the virtual summit. If you are interested in finding out more about that, we make it available on our website in our store for just a small cost for hearing from over 20 different bereaved parents and what they have learned in their journey. Just go to gpshope.org slash virtual summit to find out who those speakers are and what they spoke about, what the topics were. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And like I said, you can order it in our store, but the store doesn't share who the speakers are and what the topics were. So if you want that, it's gpshope.org slash virtual summit. And I'll also have a link to that in the show notes. Like I said at the beginning, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at parents in the Bible who had a child die. I don't know about you, but there are so many things in the Bible that I see through new eyes now after my daughter Becca died. And I feel like it's especially fascinating and helpful to go back to these examples. And it's amazing how much I can learn from them now in ways that it was never possible before. So I hope you join me again next week. And until then, remember to hold on. There is 